So we are continuing this series that we started several weeks ago as we're studying the life um, of King David. And, and uh, as we've seen, you know, his life started um, where nobody knew who he was. Um, and, and you know, King Saul had, had uh, drifted away and, and fallen into sin. And, and God uh, saw that his heart was not going to return to him. And so he just, uh, God decided he was going to remove King Saul and replace him with David. And and we see that, that story here in, in our theme verse for the series in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, where it says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. And we see here that, again, David started out as he started several weeks ago and looking at his life. He was the youngest son of Jesse, um, he was uh, out in the fields, you know, shepherding the flocks, um, even when Samuel came to anoint him, and, and he was an afterthought, even to his dad, right? And we saw that first week, how when Samuel came to anoint him, that nobody knew who David was. And then we saw in the next week, after he was anointed, and, and, and God chose him to be the next king, right? That he was thrust in the spotlight when he defeats Goliath, right? Takes down the giant, and, and suddenly everybody knows who David is, right? And he starts down this path of eventually taking leadership away from Saul. And then we saw in week three how this, this transition of power was not quick or easy, but yet how David followed God's plan for him and uh, God's timing for him. It wasn't just about God's will for his life, but also he got the timing right and how important that is. And we saw then how how David, at the end of that transition of power, was anointed by, by Judah and Israel as king over the entire land. Right? And he started ruling, and he, and he ruled well, and he, he ruled uh, with God's power. And, and we saw, again, um, at the beginning of last week, how David um, followed God's leading. He, he led the nation well. They, they conquered lots of new land. They, they got lots of plunder and wealth. And and this was a huge time of prosperity for Israel. And yet, in the midst of that height, David started to drift away from God's ideal plan for him. And we saw last week um, that David was not perfect. But up to, up to that point, we see, like, David, it was pretty perfect. I mean, he was walking with God. Everything was going well. They were incredibly blessed. And then last week, we saw how David made a series of mistakes right, that led him into this horrible, sinful situation. We saw how each mistake led into the next one, and the dominoes continued to fall, right, to where David made several mistakes and, and ended up very far into sin and away from God's plan for him and for Israel. And that's where we ended last week. And, and truthfully, it was hard to stop last week where we stopped, right, because we stopped at a very low place. Right? And, and yet, we saw all of these mistakes that David made, and we saw the very last mistake that we looked at last week was that David thought he'd gotten away with it and that the situation had resolved. Right? He thought he'd gotten away with it. Now, obviously, there were other people who kind of probably picked up and saw what was really happening, but nobody had confronted David about what was going on. And, and David thought he'd gotten away with it. He was ready to just move on ignore it, forget it ever happened, and just move on with life, right? And he thought that he could do that. And yet we ended with the last verse in 2 Samuel 11 last week, 
right, where it says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Again, all of the humans, everybody under David and around him um, had, had not confronted in it with him, and he thought he got away with it, and he was ready to move on, but, but God was not done, right? God knew, and God was going to confront David, and that's where we pick up the story today. Now, just as last week was a tough message, it was a tough season for David's life, it's, it's hard for us to see God's anointed leader end up in the place that we left the story last week. And, and now this week, we see David start to work through the process of repentance because the situation had not resolved. So today, we continue the story and see how God convicts David, how he repents, and he finds forgiveness and redemption through God's grace as he's ready to truly move on in his life. So we're going to pick up the story right where we left off last week in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So if you have your Bible with you, I uh, encourage you to open with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you. You're welcome to use in the seat pockets there. You'll notice is the page numbers where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Uh, is on the outline, and, but we're going to pick up the story here, 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting at verse 1, where it says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole, and for having no pity. So we're going to pause there, and just like last week, I'll encourage you to keep your Bible open. We're going to go back to this story here in a couple minutes. We're going to work our way through the entire chapter. But as we look at these first six verses, okay, we are introduced to Nathan. Okay, now, this is not the first time we've seen Nathan. Nathan was a prophet of God, and, and his job was that he would get these messages from God, and he was supposed to go to 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 King David and deliver these messages. And so Nathan now is given this hard task from God to say, you need to go to David and confront him with his sin. Again, Nathan has an, an ongoing relationship with David. And in fact, just a few chapters before, Nathan is this, this the same guy that delivered the covenant promise to David when he first becomes king in 2 Samuel 7. But here... Nathan is not bringing good news, right? He, in fact, Nathan is literally putting his life at risk by doing what God is asking him to do. Because when you bring bad news to the king, right, the king, who is the most powerful man in the land, can react however the king wants to react, right? And just like most people, kings do not react well to bad news especially when you confront them with their own sin. Right? Literally, if, if, if David didn't like it, David could just make a motion to one person and Nathan's life would be over. Right? And 
David had that power. And yet he goes in front of the king right, to give him this bad news, to deliver what God had told him to do. And Nathan takes a different approach. Right? He doesn't just come and just lay out the bad news. He decides he's going to give David this parable story. Okay? And so that's what he does. He tells him this story about this rich man and this poor man and this little lamb and these, this, these huge herds and, and how the rich man steals it. And David, as we see, gets, gets really upset with this rich guy. Okay? And as we work through this story today, we're going to learn a whole bunch of stuff about sin right? through, through David's repentance process. And the first thing that we realize out of this, as Nathan comes, presents this story to David, is that it's always easier to see someone else's sin than your own. It's always easier to see somebody else's sin than your own. Again, it's easy to come to church and to sit down and listen to messages, and you know, we can hear about God, and we hear that message, and it's easy to look down the row and be like, I hope that person's listening to this. Right, that's way easier than, than dealing with our own sin. Right, and, you know, sometimes we're even, we take this role, right, we take this concept, and, and maybe we even go so far as to, uh, to sending the, the podcast link to somebody and be like, hey, you really need to listen to this message. Right, no, maybe you haven't done that before. Okay, sorry, maybe, maybe just me. But, the, okay, but it's easier to see somebody else's sin, right, than my own. Right, and we see Nathan takes his approach, and, and David gets, gets extremely upset at this rich man. He right, says, why would anybody do that? That is so horrible. Right, um, again, as we see, there are two different roles within the faith community that are happening here. Right, one, we have the role of Nathan. Right, that God has, has convicted him, spoken to him, and said it is Nathan's role to call out sin of another believer. Right, that's a tough role. Right, as we see, Nathan goes, come, you know, very, kind of approaches it at a different angle and says, i got to figure out how to, how to do this and, and to, to spare my own life. And yet, there's also the other role of the one that is receiving the message. Now, the truth is that both of these positions are tough. Right? It's hard to, to talk to somebody and sit down and be like, hey, uh, we really need to talk. But it's equally, in fact, maybe more tough to sit down and be the one that we're like, what are they going to say? Right, and then to receive that message from that person right, is a very tough place. But we see how David responds. Right? He responds, I mean, with the, the just reaction of God's law. That man deserves to die. Okay, he needs to pay retribution. I mean, he comes back, he's like, justice needs to be served. Right? And then this next section opens up this, this new dramatic response that is given. By Nathan. Right? This is the point in the movie when like the line is delivered and then you hear the music in the background go dun dun dun. Right? Okay, this is in verse 7, right? The first part of verse 7 when Nathan says to David, you are that man. Dun dun dun. Right? And as David gives that reaction, right? And, and then Nathan's like, hey, that, that finger... Pointing right back at you. You need to look at the guy in the mirror. Right? Because you are that man. Okay, and then we see Nathan continue on in these next verses. Right? As he delivers the message that God gave him to deliver. Picking up the story here in verse 7. 
Okay, then Nathan said to David, you are that man, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord said. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Now, as we read these, these verses, right, Nathan delivers God's punishment for David for his sin. Now, there's a strong contrast here between what God has given to David and what David took by his own power. Give and take. But as Nathan lays out this concept of give and take, right? And we know this idea that God gives and God takes away. And God gave David everything. Right? In fact, that's exactly what he says to David. He's like, I gave you everything. I gave you the kingdom. I gave you all wealth. I gave you power. I gave you everything. And if that was not enough, I would have given you more. All you had to do was ask. Right? God had given David everything. He says, but you, by your own power, you went and took something that was not yours. I would have given you anything you wanted if you walked with me, but that's not. But by your own power, you took it yourself. Right? There's this whole idea of give and take that Nathan presents to David. And, and that's the next thing, again, we learn about sin from this situation. Is that God gives and sin takes. God gives, sin takes. God is looking at David. He's like, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to go down that path. I would have given you anything that your heart desired. Right? But as you went down that path, you gave in to this sinful desire, and you took by your own power something that was not yours. You were not satisfied with everything that God gave you and instead decided to take. And yet this concept becomes very real in our own lives. Kind of realizing that the giving of God, right, if we're focused on God, we can receive from him and from the bountiful riches that he promises. But if we drift from God in our heart and our focus gets off of him and his will for us, right, then we become so focused on ourselves and we take. We take whatever we desire for ourselves. One is completely focused on God, and the other one is completely focused on selfishness. Because God gives, sin takes. We see in 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, right? Then Nathan gives, he says, So why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? Right? He, he's kind of, he's, 
He's asking David, say, take a step back and look at this whole situation. Right? You were walking with God. God was with you through this whole time. Right? He would give you anything, and now you step back and realize that you took what wasn't yours to take through your own selfish desires. Okay, we see these phrase, this phrase that he uses here is, again, it's despising the word of the Lord. Okay, doing evil in God's sight. I mean, Nathan continues through this language. Okay, and yet this language is exactly the same Hebrew phrases that, that describe Saul's actions when Samuel confronted Saul with his sin. Again, remember, Samuel was the prophet that anointed David to be the next king. Okay, now Nathan is now doing this for David, well, what Samuel did for Saul. Okay, and Samuel confronts Saul, and he uses exactly these same Hebrew phrases to Saul when he confronts him with his sin. Okay, and, and yet, Saul gets removed by God, right? and David doesn't. But the accusations coming from God through these prophets are exactly the same. So what's the difference? The difference is the way that they reacted to this conviction, to God's message. Right? Saul reacted by placing blame, right? by lying, by defending himself, by, by passing the buck. And that's not the way that David responds. Right? Saul, as he did that, he remained in his selfishness. And he remained in his sin, and therefore God removed him. But now we see that, that, again, he gets the same phrases are given to David. David reacts differently, which we're going to look here in a second. But before we get to David's reaction, we see, though, the consequences of his sin. In verses 10 through 12, God tells him that your family will live by the sword. And this predicts the chaos that will ensue in David's life and David's family because of, this, because of his sin and the example that he has brought into his life and for his kids. In fact, if you look at the following chapters, and the next phase of David's life is that it is full of chaos. And this chaos plays out in incredibly violent and incredibly tragic ways within David's family. It includes the death of a child, an incestuous rape, a murder revenge, a son's armed rebellion that turns into a civil war, and eventually that son's death. It is very messy. It is very chaotic. It is very tragic. And it's exactly what God says is going to happen. But then we see David's reaction in verse 13. Let's look at David's reaction, verse 13 through 15. There it says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and won't die, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. Again, we see David's reaction, and therefore we learn, again, about 
sin and about ourselves that our true heart is revealed by your reaction to our sin. Okay, our true heart is revealed by our reaction to our sin. Remember, Saul, right, didn't react well. Right, David, as a man after God's own heart, reacts completely different. Okay, Saul reacted selfishly and continued to take. David gives a quick and swift confession of his sin. Right, in, in verse 13a, and this again comes down with this equally dramatic line that's delivered by David, right, when, when he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Right, he takes responsibility for what he did, for the choices he made, for all these mistakes, for for trying to pull one over the eyes of God, and he says, I did it, I confess. And we see here in this reaction, right, that, that David knows the weight of his sin. Because the truth is, the wages of sin is death. Right? And David has brought destruction and death into his family through his sinful choices. David identifies his own fitting punishment for his sin back in verse 5. Remember when Nathan tells him this story about the rich man, right? What was David's reaction? David's reaction was, that guy deserves to die. Right? And David unknowingly was giving his own sentence. Right? In that reaction. He knows that the wages of sin is death. Right? And and he confesses his sin and, and he knows what he deserves. But yet, Nathan then, in the rest, second part of this verse, gives an equally swift response from God. As David confesses his sin, right, then Nathan comes back with the response of God. He says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. And what is the definition of grace? Getting something we don't deserve. Or not getting something we do deserve. Right, what had David earned? Death. David will not die. He receives grace from God. But that leads us into the next thing we learn about sin. It is, it is equally tough as all the things we've already seen. Right? And that is that we are re- reunited with God through repentance. But it does not reverse the earthly consequences of our sin. There are earthly consequences that come with our sin. The spiritual consequence of our sin is we are We are separated from God, right? Our relationship is broken because of our sin, right? And God, through his grace and mercy and forgiveness and the power of the cross, and Jesus died and rose again, and by the power of that blood, we are forgiven from that sin and reunited with God relationally. Spiritually, we are forgiven. It is gone as if we've never sinned, right? But it does not reverse the earthly consequences of our choices, right? Those continue to play out within our earthly lives. Again, we see in verse 14, there it says, Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Again, the ripples of all of David's mistakes and his sinful actions have already started moving. David started the ball rolling with his list of sins, and the effects of that sin continue to play out. It starts with the death of the child and continues on from there through David's family for years. 
It includes sexual sin, corruption, murder, everything that from David's list of sins that we saw last week continues to play out through his family. Again, did that, have, that didn't have to happen. I mean, they could have repented and turned back to God too. They had that same choice that David had, but they didn't make the same choice that David made. Right? Their sin continued to play out. And what does sin do? Sin takes. And it took a lot from David's family. And then we see these next verses as we pick up the story in verse 16. As, as David's reaction to all of this, we start to see the true repentance come from him. Picking up in verse 16, it says, Then David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the, on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and to eat with them, but he refused. And then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him that the child is dead? And when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. And after that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you've stopped your mourning and are eating again. And David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Again, these, just like all of these verses, are hard to read. But they're, they're tough verses. But yet, we see in this reaction of David, by what true repentance really is. Okay, we see that David had already confessed his sin. Right? He confessed it in front of Nathan. He confessed. He's like, yes, I did it. I confessed. He comes clean. But then in these verses, as his confession continues to play out and he moves on to true repentance, we see a humbled heart of David. Right? As he had misused his power into the sinful situation, he is now humble to who really holds the power over life and death. Right? And we also see David, again, move in a whole new direction, this direction that baffles all of these people around him. Because David reacts in, in completely opposite of the way that they thought he should react. Right? You're supposed to mourn after the death of a child, not before. Right? And yet David does exactly the opposite. And as soon as the child dies, he moves in a new direction. Right? And, and through this, we see the, what true repentance really is. Okay? And there are three aspects that we see from David of what, what is true repentance. Right? First is confession of sin, plus a humbled heart, plus a new direction equals repentance. Confession and repentance are not the same. Confession plus the humbled heart, plus a new direction, equals repentance. In fact, if you look at, at the, the Hebrew concept of repentance, 
It is literally translated to turn and go in a new direction. And that's exactly what David does. He does the opposite of what human tradition expected. Right? This is a, true, a huge picture of what true humility really looks like. He mourned while the baby was alive, begging God to reverse the judgment that David had brought into the nation by his sin. But once the baby dies, instead of mourning, he submits to God's authority, accepts the judgment, and moves into freedom that can only be found in redemption from God. We see true humility from him. David had to learn that even as a king with great power, he still had to submit to the ultimate power of God. Because only God holds the power over life and death. David exercised his power in a very unhealthy way, and a tragic way that got him into this situation. And now God reminds David who really holds the power. Right, and we see that in his response in verses 22 and 23. Right, when David says, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let this child live. But why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. I and mean, David is saying, is like, I don't hold the power over life and death. Only God does. Right? I don't have the power to bring him back. Right? I can't bring him back to me. He's like, I'll go to him one day. I will meet that child one again someday in heaven when I die. Right? But even that is not in my power. Only God holds the power. Right? And David is truly humble right, for who is powerful and the power that God holds. Again, that was one of the lies that David believed, that I have the power, that he had the power as the king. Right? And again, we still can so easily you know, fall into that trap. We, we think, again, that we have more power than we really have. Right? And you know, several weeks ago, I was um, you know, just browsing through the internet, and I saw, I saw this meme, and I was like, this fits really perfect into this situation. Right? If you think you've blown God's plan for your life, rest in this. You, my beautiful friend, are not that powerful. Because God's plan is bigger than my power. Right? Can I, and now, can I mess up God's plan? Oh, I can definitely do that. I can make sinful decisions. We see David messed up God's plan. This was not God's ideal plan for David's life and for his, his dynasty and his family. Right? But yet God's power is bigger than David. Right? And here we see that David acknowledges God's power. Right? And the fact that, that you always have to submit, no matter what position you have on earth, you have to submit to God. Because he has more power than you do. Because God has the power to redeem the situations that our sin messes up. Right? Which gives us then to our last point that we learn here, is that God's grace and power can redeem any situation. Right, we have the power to mess up our own lives, right, but God has the power to fix it and redeem it. Okay, we see this play out in verses 24 and 25, where it says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord as the Lord had commanded. 
So we see again through these verses, God's grace and power redeem David and Bathsheba and use their relationship again to further accomplish God's will in their life. Okay, was this God's plan A for David? I most definitely not. But God redeems it. Right? And in a couple ways we see this. First, as we read these verses, this is the first time since we were first introduced to her that she is identified by her name. Okay, all the way at the beginning of the story, we see again, David says, oh, who is this beautiful woman? And we hear, it's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Right? And, and through the all, as the rest of the story all plays out, she is never referred to by her name. She's always referred to as Uriah's wife. And now in this verse is the first time that her name is used. Because she is also redeemed from this situation. And God starts something new and pure in their relationship. Okay, and they have this son named Solomon. Okay, and as we see, right, as the verse tells us is, that God loved this child. Okay, this child, again, was, was conceived after David's repentance. Right, and as we see this chaos and this, this mess play out in all of his other kids and, and all of his family, the ones that should have taken over the throne from David, don't. Because guess who he passes the baton of leadership to? To Solomon. God redeems this situation. Right? God redeems it, not just David, but for Bathsheba, right? And for Solomon. God can redeem any situation. And then we see in verses 26 to 31, as, as this chapter concludes, that David goes back to work, right? As a righteous king. He goes out on the battlefield and God goes with him. And, and you know, the place where he should have been in the very first place before this whole thing started. So, so, how does the life of David help me in my faith journey? How do we learn from David's redemption process? Right, first off, as we see again these two roles in the body of Christ, we see Nathan coming and confronting David and calling out his sin and the role of David and the repentance and the work that he goes through as he deals with all the consequences of his own sin. We first must ask, what role do we play in the body of Christ? Are we called to call out sin in somebody else's life, or are we called to focus on our own? Right, well, the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount right, that we need to focus on our own sin first and then help others to find freedom after we find our own freedom. It's exactly what Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, 3-5. Okay, where he says, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Right? Are there times we need to deal with our friends and the speck in their eye? Yes, sometimes those happen. We need to work into that role. Right? He says, but first, deal with the log in your own eye. Focus on your own sin first. Right? And do everything you can do. Work through this redemption and, and this, uh, again, confession, humbling of your heart, 
moving in a new direction, right? Find true freedom first, and then help somebody if it comes along. Okay, next we learn that the effects of sin are very real and very messy. The effects of our sin are very real and they're very messy. As we see in David's life, it was very real and it was very messy. As he dealt with his own sin and all the consequences of his sin that played out in his family. And the effects of sin in this world have not changed since the Garden of Eden. What did God tell Adam and Eve? If you sin, you will die. And when they sinned, it brought all of the ugliness and the messiness of sin into the world, and it's still very real today. Jesus teaches us this concept in John 10.10, where he says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, and that is exactly what sin does still today. It steals, kills, and destroys. And just as David learned, we don't have the power to reverse that. The only way that 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 cycle ends is if we can rely on God, who does have the power to break that cycle. Right? Because God wants something else for us, right? That's exactly what Jesus says as he finishes this statement. Sin, the thief, will still kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. And that's exactly what God will bring in your life if we can truly repent of our sin. Right, which leads then to the last point, and that is that true repentance is the path to redemption from sin. That's how we experience the full satisfying life that Jesus tells us we'll get through him, is if we exercise true repentance. And 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Again, when we look back at Saul versus David, when they were confronted in exactly the same way by God as they were called out their sin, right, is their reaction revealed their hearts, right? Saul did not, because he claimed he had not sinned, right, and it revealed his true heart, right? David confessed his sin, right, and through that walked through true repentance. As he confessed his sin, he found a humbled heart and he moved his life in a new direction, And just as this verse tells us, there are two parts of redemption. The first part is forgiveness of our sin. When we confess to God and we start working through repentance, we receive forgiveness of our sin. And the second part is we are cleansed from all wickedness. And just like David and Bathsheba were cleansed of their sin and God redeemed it, we can find the same redemption if we enter into repentance for our sin. Which leads to my final thought here this morning, and I want to give you this final thought, which is the words of David in Psalms 51. Okay, David wrote this psalm after Nathan confronts him. Right? And he says, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me 
the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I hope we can take these, these words of David that show his true heart, right? As he says, as I confess, as I am humbled, as I start in a new direction, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew that spirit in me that I will fulfill everything you want me to do. Right? And I hope that that can be our reaction today. Again, I don't know what sin is in your life. I don't know if you've ever received Christ as your Savior. But I hope that whether you need to receive him as your Savior, confess your sin and receive him today, or even if you've been walking with him for years, if there's sin in your life, I hope you will confess it. And you will be humbled, and you'll start in a new direction and work through true repentance. Oh God, that is our prayer today. Lord, we give you our heart. Lord, I pray that, Lord, whatever is hiding in our hearts, Lord, whether it's sin, whether it's just ignoring what we need to do in our life, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts. God, fill us with your spirit. God, even when we wander, we're so thankful, God, that we can take that step back to you as we confess, as we humble our hearts, as we move in a new direction. God, I pray, Lord, that you bring repentance into our lives. Lord, as we go this week, Lord, help us to shine your love and your grace. Lord, as we find true freedom in you. We thank you, God, that you rescued us. You sent your son to die on a cross. Rise again on the third day to pay for our sin, and we thank you so much for that. Lord, guide us as we go this week as we love you with everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.